Miss Betty Wells has a special.
That's uh, so true, the shepherd's point of view. Matter of fact, we're fixing to uh, talking about shepherds and Christmas. Uh, it's the shepherd's point of view that uh, thinking about uh, what it must have been like. God chose a bunch of rednecks tending sheep, just country boys. And hey, you're going to get to witness the birth of the Savior of the world. And they got a first-hand invitation. It's always great to get invited somewhere, and you have the choice whether to go or not. And uh, most of the time, you want to go someplace you're invited to. And it, what an invitation it must have been for those shepherds that day. We're going to be, of course, uh, having Christmas-themed messages throughout the month of December, which I have three uh, Sundays Today and two more, and then of course the Sunday before Christmas, uh, we have a you know the Christmas program and cantata that night, and so a lot lot happening that particular day. Uh, Christmas is on the twenty, uh, is always on the twenty fifth, but a Wednesday uh, this year, and uh, so it'll be happening then. So yeah, it's on the twenty. Just in case you didn't know, just figured I'd throw that out there. Uh, so a lot, lot happening, and so let's head to Isaiah chapter nine, and reading verse six and seven, and just this is a powerful uh, passage concerning uh, some of the prophecies concerning Jesus Christ. So let's stand for the reading of His holy word, Isaiah nine, and verse six. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon the king, upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth and even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to share your holy word that it's not about us it's about you in jesus name amen you may be seated thank you for standing to read god's holy word i was uh <clears throat> our culture unfortunately even much more so in the last 30 years has made christmas time about uh, people uh, it's about us it's about getting it's about gifts it's about uh, santa claus it's you know but there's there's more to it than that uh sure especially in the last uh several decades it's been monopolized uh many times though especially our kids grow up in a culture of getting 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 and mine too, and I and I did. I re, I remember some of the gifts I've got down through the years. 
But what can make this Christmas time more, even more special than any of the others that you've ever experienced is maybe about, is there something you could give? And it doesn't have to be money or a thing, an item, but could you give of yourself? Could you give of your time to encourage somebody? I guarantee you, matter of fact, uh, it's been said uh, and described that Satan has a bunch of tools with which to get after an individual. He's got a bunch of tools to get after churches and marriages and couples and, and all of us as individual people. His biggest tool, his, his, his toolbox, he'll set aside everything. He'll set aside greed and jealousy and envy and set aside uh, temptation and promiscuity and, and, and just all the things of the flesh. But his, his he goes for every time. And he'll use this, and he probably already has, maybe even this week, this last week, Satan used this tool on you. He uses it on lost people, saved people, church members, young and old. And the tool that he loves to go to is his go-to. When it's fourth down and long, when it's there's, the odds are against you, and when Satan wants to really throw you for a loop, he reaches into his tool bag, and he pulls out this weapon. The name of this weapon is called discouragement. Discourage, if he can get you discouraged, discouragement is contagious. But here is the, uh, the key, the antidote. The antidote is for you to run swiftly to Jesus and, and ask Him for some encouragement. Matter of fact, you may be the answer to somebody's prayer. If you've been discouraged this last week, you think about how bad discouragement pulls you down and how it can rob you of joy. As we, and we're really going to brag on Jesus and think about the things that, that make it possible for us to go into heaven. As, uh, visiting yesterday with Miss Janice and, and, uh, she went ahead and she talked to me yesterday about the arrangements for her service. Her funeral service. Said it's not something I like to talk about, Brother Michael, but uh you know, and we we got to talking and we so we started I thinking about different funny things that's happened and things that have happened with our family and and she got to laughing so hard she started crying. But it was tears of joy. Just just a little bit. But I was so glad, you know, I don't know all the ins and outs of what she's going through and her struggles health-wise, but is there something you can say to somebody to encourage them this week? Maybe you could be the answer to somebody's prayer. Now, I guarantee you, again, this week you're going to build somebody up or you're going to tear them down. You're going to encourage somebody or you're going to discourage somebody. Many of us have, we don't mean it, but we'll say something to somebody, we'll discourage them. We don't even know, sometimes we do it. 
We've got to say, Lord, give me the wisdom to know when I'm being a discouragement to somebody. Am I tearing people down? Am I, am I the one that's, that, that's causing the discouragement? I don't need to be, especially if you're a child of God. We need to be an encourager and lift somebody up. Think about it. And, you see, and the thing is, Eliza, I wish I could encourage you. You can. You can encourage other people if you try. You can encourage other people if you speak positive words. Tell them you're praying for them. Just simply give them an encouraging word. Tell them that you love them. Tell them you're praying for them. I guarantee you. Send them. Uh, give them a call. Send them a text. Contact them somehow. This very first passage, as we read, we see that Jesus Christ unto us as child is born. That's encouraging right there. There's a lot of Scripture. All the Scripture that's been fulfilled concerning Jesus Christ uh, is pretty amazing. I'm just going to fly through a couple of them. Uh, I had put them on a separate sheet of paper. Number one, that uh, there's prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. A child is born. Just the fact that Jesus Christ was was given. He's the Son of God. Did you know Jesus? It was prophesied in Genesis three fifteen that Jesus Christ would be born of a woman. That doesn't sound like much, but Genesis three fifteen says that a seed of a woman. In other words, one day, you know, Jesus God could have said, "I'm going to send a Messiah to Satan." Wrecked the whole planet. He wrecked all of creation and all of mankind when he tempted Eve. And God said, I'm going to send a descendant. Now, God could have just made up a, a monster. He could have made up an angel. He could have made up a superhero. He could have created something. But he said, I'm going to send a Messiah. That means a Savior in answer to this sin problem. And it's going to be a person born, a man born. Going to be a man, so that's so that's a kind of a duh moment. Well, yeah, but think about it. It didn't have to be. God could have sent an answer through some created thing, but He didn't. Matter of fact, He sent Himself through flesh, called the Son of God. The there was a prophecy concerning. That this Messiah, we didn't know his name before uh, Gabriel told us his name, but he would be born in Bethlehem in Micah chapter 5 in verse 2. It brags on Bethlehem that through Bethlehem there's going to be a Savior born and then that he would be born of a virgin. And Isaiah, and I'm just flying through these. These are not in your outline, but I'm just setting this up because... Folks, there's a bunch of prophecies concerning Jesus in Isaiah 7:14, the prophecy that he would be born of a virgin, but he would be virgin born. It's all right there. And if you still have your Bible open, I hope you keep it open around Isaiah and Isaiah 7:14 that he's going to be born of a virgin. Then also that he would be born of the lineage of Abraham in Genesis 12:3. It says this. It says that uh he would be from your descendants. All the earth is going to be blessed from your descendants, Abraham. And that's in Genesis twelve three. Also in our text here, it says in verse 7 of our text that he would come through the throne of David. That's a pretty interesting prophecy. 
And then uh, another one real quick, next the last one that I have, is that he would spend a season in Egypt in Hosea chapter 11 and verse 1. He says, I've called my son out of Egypt. And that's in Hosea chapter 11 and verse 1. And then the last prophecy that I'll hit real quick is that he would be crucified with criminals. This is a very famous passage in Isaiah 53 and verse 12. In Isaiah 53 and verse 12, he was going to be crucified with criminals. And uh, there, there are about uh, 60-something major prophecies concerning Jesus Christ about his uh his, not only his birth, but his life. Now, this is very interesting. Somebody did uh, a study one time. You know, there's a, did you know there's a chance, like a 1 in 15 million chance, that you will be struck by lightning today? <laughs> in, in your lifetime, there's a, like a 1 in 2,500 chance that you'll be struck by lightning. And then... Uh, thinking about all these uh, prophecies that have taken, somebody did all the math that what if just take about eight of these prophecies, about eight of these 60 prophecies, and you say, what are the chances that somebody could fulfill all of these prophecies in his lifetime to all of the birth prophecies? And they said, they calculated it all up, and it would be a number with a 1 to the 17th power. If it's been a while since you've had math, that means a 1 with 17 zeros after that number. Now, here's the math on that so we can kind of grasp it. If you were to take that number and you were to take it in pennies and place those pennies 1 to the 17th power, 17 zeros after it, it would cover Arkansas three feet deep. Okay? About waist deep to some of us. You know, a little bit more than others. Alright? Now that's a, and then you put a man in Little Rock and you hide a quarter anywhere in Arkansas inside those pennies. And you tell that man, and oh, by the way, this man's blind. Just go in any direction you want to and find, just pick out an Arkansas out of this waist deep, three feet deep, wherever exactly how deep, high of pennies, and you find, just pull out that, and his chances of pulling out that quarter out of all those pennies is the same chance that somebody would accidentally fulfill all of these prophecies concerning Jesus. You see, Jesus fulfilled them because he is the Messiah. Jesus fulfilled all these prophecies. It's not a chance. There's not a, there's not a, you know, think about it. There's no way in the world, almost mathematically impossible, that any of this would accidentally come to be. And I'm just, oh, by the way, I said eight of the 60-something prophecies. That was only eight. Those are the chances for eight of them. He, he fulfilled them all. He covered all the dots. And that, so we're going to brag about Jesus and who He is. And, and if you're facing any sort of discouragement, think about our, uh, we've got a, a child is born. 
we have some uh, people that you know, been a part of. We have some expectant mothers even here at Promised Land and people that are expecting children and people that have recently had children and a baby is born. People get excited. They take pictures. My goodness, they take pictures and video and all of these things with cell phone and post it on the internet. They're proud of that baby being born. God was proud. Matter of fact, he eternally took a picture and he recorded that picture for us to see right here. And that's where the picture is recorded. And uh, it's, isn't it amazing how that when our kids are born, that we'll take about a million pictures of our first child. About 500,000 of the second child. And maybe three pictures for the third child. And uh, I don't know why that is, but it just worked out. That means that we get all pumped up and excited about that first one, and then it just kind of loses steam from then on out. Oh, you had another baby. Yep, I don't know where they are. I don't know. Just, you know, another another child is born. But a child is born, the book of the Word of God tells, uh, gives us a picture of the humility of his birth in Luke chapter 2 and verse 7. It says they, that when they she brought forth that child, she wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and in your King James Bible it says laid him in a manger. That means a feeding trough. I mean, think about the hygiene of that. <laughs> I, you know, the swaddling clothes and the, and the hygiene of a food uh, horse trough, a cattle trough. And they laid that baby inside there. That's perfect size probably right after that wrapped up that baby. And so the humility of his birth, this king of kings was not born in a palace, but he was born humbly to be the son of God. Think about this. Not only it says in our text, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, is the Son of God. If you will, head to the book of Hebrews. We're going to look up a few scriptures here. Some we've already flown through, but some we're going to camp out and just look at it. A son is given, the Son of God. Folks, Jesus was the Son of God whenever, and He still is. He was born God in the flesh. How could God die? There's only one way God could die, and that's to be wrapped in human flesh. Interesting to think about that thought. The Bible says in uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, God, who at sundry times and in divers, that means different manners, different ways, He spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hast in the... In these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins. In other words, he worked for 33 and a half years to do everything just right. I, I like to say it this way. He lived a perfect life so we could claim a perfect promise. And he did all that, and the Bible says, he said, whoo, I'm done. He sat down. That's what it says. He sat down on the right hand of God, all right, on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. I'll just stop there because uh, a lot of people 
talk about, well, matter of fact, uh, in different religions, they'll, they'll pray to angels or saints. But folks, the one worthy of worship is the Son of God. It's, that's, that's who we pray to. That we pray to ask Jesus. We, matter of fact, when you got saved, if you're going to heaven, you, how'd you do it? How do you get saved? You ask Jesus to come into your life and be your Savior. So, He's born. Then, of course, the Son of God, the most famous verse concerning this is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son... There's 25 words in that verse. It's a neat fact, just interesting fact, that the word son is the middle word, is the very center of that verse in your Bible. 25 words, and what word did God put in the middle of that verse? He chose the word son. It's the 13th word. And so... Think about it's God's son. A son is given. Is God in the flesh. Lastly, in that uh, particular point, back in Romans chapter 8 and verse 3, the word of God says this. It talks about his work for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. So he, he took your sin and my sin and he nailed it to the cross. I want to talk about real quick in our text. It says, unto us a, a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And this is talking about his reign. It talks a little bit more about his reign on down in verse 7. <clears throat> his reign is very interesting. When Jesus was here for 33 and a half years, basically, he um, did not, he didn't reign. He didn't sit on a throne. But did you know the Bible says he's going to sit on a throne? He's going to sit on the throne on this earth. Now, just a few pages over from Isaiah 7 is, of course, Isaiah 11. And looking at that there, first ten verses or so, it says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. Well, that just old, that's old poet, Hebrew poetry for, there's, he's going to have a great, 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 if you count it up, a 14 generations grandson. A branch shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, and the Spirit of counsel. And the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And shall make him of quick understanding and the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor, reprove the equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. Oh, by the way, if you read in verse 4... And if you read the other scriptures concerning this, whenever Jesus is, uh, when he's reigning, it says he's going to speak and nations will be judged. It mentions sometimes about drought and different other things, but that's all going to take place 
say the rapture happens uh, in the next couple of years. Well, then, you know, basically, if the if the tribulation period is seven years long, then uh, seven, eight, nine years from now, Jesus is going to be on the throne after the tribulation period. He's going to be on the throne. That's very interesting. And then it, that, and the way he just speaks and he judges nations. Verse five and righteousness shall be the gird, girdle of his loins and faithfulness, the girdle of his reins. This is the part that we've often used before, Isaiah eleven six. The wolf shall also dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child will lead them around. Imagine a four-year-old child saying, come here, 700-pound tiger. Come on. And, you know, and there's, matter of fact, the Bible says it's all, they're all going to go back to eating their herbivores. You know, instead of carnivore, right? Kind of neat. And the cow and the bear shall shall feed, and their young ones shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw. That's where it says it. Shall eat straw like the ox. Oh, by the way, did y'all know before the flood, that's the way that all the animals were? Before Noah's flood, that's the way they all did. Verse 8, And the suckling child shall play with the hole of the asp. In other words, a big old snake. You say, no way. And the weaned child shall put his hand in the cockatrice's den, which is another viper type of animal. And uh, they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth <clears throat> shall be the full knowledge of the Lord as the waters covers the sea. And in that day there shall be a root out of Jesse, which shall stand for, a, it says, an ensign, a flag of the people. And to it shall be the Gentiles seek. And his rest shall be glorious. In other words, while he's reigning, the whole world will head to Jerusalem. That's pretty neat. And so, and a time of peace. In Isaiah, we won't turn there and read that, but Isaiah 65 uh, talks about the same thing. Let's talk real quickly about his name. Back in our text, it says, A child is born, a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name. Now, this is not his his given name, but his descriptive names. Because we know that his name is Jesus. We don't find out till Gabriel tells Mary and Joseph. A little bit, uh, a long time after this, anyway. And uh, this, these are descriptive names. His name shall be called Wonderful. Why Wonderful? Well, we think about his birth was wonderful. His life was wonderful. Thirty-three and a half years, his miracles were wonderful. His death was wonderful. His resurrection was wonderful. And folks, finally, his return is going to be wonderful. When he comes back again, it's going to be great. I was talking to someone here a while back about the return of Christ, as a matter of fact, and they said, well, I, I'm just, I'm kind of nervous about it. And there's nothing wrong with being nervous about the return of Jesus, because we say, well, I want, I want to live, I want to get married one day, I want to have kids one day, or if I've already done that, I would like to have grandkids one day. But there's nothing wrong with feeling that way, because God wired you to want to live. There's, I mean, He put that in you. Every now and then somebody will will uh, uh, feel like not living anymore. Usually it's because of some sort of depression or chemical imbalance or something because when everything's working right, physiologically and psychologically, we want to live. We want to, to do and to live life. 
something breaks sometimes in us and we lose that desire. But God wired us to want to live. So if you ever have any fear of of Jesus coming again, sometimes though, you know, you see this a lot of times with somebody that's on up in years. They say, I can't wait for the return of Jesus because we've already lived our life. And we're looking forward to it. And we realize, though, that the older you get also, the more you realize life is temporary and life is fleeting and life is short. And we say, well, there's more. we finally realize there's more to it. But when we're in our teens and our 20s, we say, well, I haven't lived yet. And so, but his life was wonderful and his return is going to be wonderful. Also, he's called a counselor. And a counselor means this. He's available for you. He comforts you, and He also can guide you. That's what a counselor does. All of us have had counselors in our life. Some of your wisest counsel probably has come maybe from a parent, a grandparent, a coach, giving you wise counsel. But most of the time, counsel is about how to deal with life's problems. But folks, I'm giving you counsel this morning dealing with eternal problems. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you know Him? That's an eternal problem. You're going to live forever somewhere. And I don't know if you know this, but forever is a long time. You're going to live forever somewhere. You say, well, if I'm saved, I'm going to live forever. If you're lost, you're going to live forever. You will. You'll live forever in hell is a real hell. A lot of times we like to preach about heaven and talk about the streets of gold and all of that. But it'd be kind of like saying, well, I hope you have a good trip knowing that the bridge is washed out. If we know the bridge is washed out, we need to warn people and let them know there's a big cliff on down the line. Counselor. He's also called a mighty God. And... uh he said, and uh, this is Jesus, he said in Matthew, he said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And then in uh, Colossians, this is a neat passage, in Colossians chapter 1, in verse 11. See what the Word of God has to, has to say to us there, just a neat description of Jesus and His power. Colossians 1, 11 states, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created. Did you know Jesus had a hand in creation? You think God just spoke it, but it was God through his son. They worked together. Uh, it's kind of like uh, their roles. The, even the whole Trinity had a role in creation. Whether there be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him. Who's the Him? Jesus. And for Him. 
The Him is Jesus, and He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. Some scientists said one time, well, gravity holds the universe in a constant order of uh, not flying out there. Well, I think it's Jesus. I think He holds it all together, and I don't know, but guess who created gravity? (laughs) And He created, and He's the head of the church, and all of that, just great stuff. He's a mighty God. He's also the everlasting Father. I love what Revelation chapter 1 verse 8 says about Jesus. A great description throughout the entire book of Jesus. But Revelation 1 and verse 8 says this, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is, which was, and is to come. So, folks, quickly in review, his, his name is Wonderful, His name is Counselor, his, na- his name is the Mighty God, His name is the Everlasting Father. There's no end to Him. And finally, He's the Prince of Peace. Now, I like to say it like this, and I've seen this on T-shirts. It's not original with me. I've seen it in a lot of places. No Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. But that's two different things, isn't it? If you don't have Jesus, you won't have peace. And if you do know Him as your Savior, you can have peace. Isaiah, back in our text, Isaiah 9, 7 says that uh, peace is through Him. He gives peace. Real peace. Only happens whenever you've accepted or asked Jesus to be your Savior. When your head hits the pillow tonight, or even this afternoon, do you have peace in your heart? As the New Testament states, is it a peace that passes all understanding? There's a peace, and I think about all these pastor pals and young kids that come up. There's, when you have little ones in your home, peace is precious. <laughs> peace is precious. When they're all asleep, and if you have more than one child, and they're all asleep at the same time, there is peace for a little while. But uh, did y'all know that that's temporary? Because I know y'all know this, they wake up. (laughs) When they do, peace is over. That's temporary peace. And I love that temporary peace. But I'm talking, what kind of peace am I talking What's Brother Michael talking about? Eternal peace in your heart. Peace that nobody can take away from you. Peace that I know where I'm going when I die. That's good. That's good peace. 
Do you have that peace? I know who's got me. I know who's got me. As we prepare for a hymn of invitation, would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Father, as we bow before you, this is the time of the year that we talk about your birth, the gift of your Son. Thank you for Jesus. It's by His life that we have hope. It's by His death that we have victory. It's by His resurrection that we have a chance, an opportunity to live forever just by accepting You as our personal Savior. We need peace. May we cling to You and Your Word and Your promises. There's somebody that needs to be saved right where they're at. Just admit that they're a sinner. And say, I need You as my Savior. Father, I thank You for loving us even when we're unlovable. Thank You for loving us and forgiving us when we fail You. We're always going to mess up. Thank You for Your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, Amen.